Welcome to the What's Your Ethos podcast. Hi, I'm Peter Colas, the CEO of Ethos. Today I talk with Sean Mike, the CEO and founder of Family First Life. FFL is one of the industry's most successful and fastest growing insurance marketing organizations. On track to write a billion dollars of annualized premiums this year, just 10 years after founding. We discussed FFL's rocket ship growth, Sean's competitive drive and his leadership secrets, how he created an agent first, customer first company, and the integrity integration. Let's listen in. Hi, I'm Peter Colas, the CEO of Ethos. And today we have with us Sean Mike, the CEO and founder of Family First Life. Founded in 2013, FFL makes the families it protects and the families of their agents their number one priority. Providing multiple types of life insurance and retirement planning and protection, FFL has scaled significantly and its growth trajectory continues to soar. Sean is revered in the industry as an exceptional leader. I've gotten to know Sean through FFL's partnerships with Ethos, and it's a privilege to sit down and talk with him today. Sean, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate the uh, opportunity. So you have an amazing background, Sean. Before you entered insurance, you started life as a social worker, helping children in difficult situations. Mm -hmm. Can you take us back to that time? And how did what you were doing there eventually translate into a career in life insurance? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm, I'm not unlike a lot of other people that were led to that industry. We used to joke around in my office that we were a bunch of broken people trying to fix other people. That's what led us to being a social worker or child type services worker or whatever it was, you know, and it was a, it was an amazing 14 year run. I really thoroughly enjoyed it, Peter. And, and the reality is I probably um, would still be a social worker today or continue to promote and be at the state had they not made some changes to what they were doing. It wasn't the money. Like I wanted more money to f- take care of my family, but I was already selling real estate on the side while I was a social worker. But I got in the business to make sure the kids were safe. That was it. My deal was I don't I don't answer to you. I, I had maybe a few bosses, but I didn't answer them. I was the one that was in the field seeing the kids, seeing the parents. And if I told you that they were safe, they were safe. If I told you they were unsafe, they were unsafe. And uh, they forced me to move a kid out of a home that was safe. And uh, I was like, I can't do it. Like, I just can't. It's a safe environment. I understand their history. It's 25 years old. They're not perfect, but kid's safe, kid's happy. All his needs are met. And I also knew he couldn't handle himself if he got placed into the system. I just knew he was a very well-cared-for young man, which was good. He wasn't jaded. He wasn't angry. And... uh they forced me to move him, and uh, it did not benefit his life. Let's just put it that way. So I, uh, I was it. At that moment, I'm like, I'm going to quit. It doesn't matter when. And uh, I was selling real estate, looking at a multifamily home in Connecticut. I owned tons of them. And this guy named Jim asked me if I'd like to make some extra money outside of what I was currently doing. And I said, sure. I'm always open. What is it? And he said, selling life insurance. I said, no, I'm not interested. I assumed that that was like a very arduous task at license. I assumed that it was, you know, I grew up in, in an apartment, like, you know, subsidized apartment. Nobody came knocking on our door to sell us life insurance. Like our family members died with no life insurance. Like my uncles died, my grandparents died. I never, nobody was like, man, thank God they had a life insurance policy. So I had a misconception. He said, just go online and get the license. Like I said, how much is it? So he told me it's a couple hundred bucks. So I did that. And, you know, to your question, I was blown away because I was so used to going to people's houses that didn't want me there. You know, like there was a domestic dispute, somebody got stabbed, and then here I come, one o'clock in the morning. Like, hey, man, you know, this happened here. Nobody wanted me there. I wasn't invited. 
And then I had these leads where they invited me. So I actually thought it was the easiest thing I'd ever done in my life. My first couple of days I went out and sold, I think I sold like 17 applications in like two and a half days. And when I brought him back, Jim's like, what did you do? I was like, I just called the people up that you gave me. And he's like, how'd you get this much insurance? I'm like, how do you not get this much insurance? Like, this is easy, you know? So I fell in love with it. And I did it part-time for about a year. And then I quit my state job, which I knew I was going to quit anyway. Quit real estate and went all in in life insurance in 2000. I got my license June 08. I was all in in 2009. And then we launched Family First Life in 2013. It's uh, remarkable to think about that social work could actually help you become a master in understanding human nature. Uh, you know, what Peter, an experience. I think a lot of people getting life insurance don't take the things they've done that make them masters in, in human experience as well, right? Like, like if you're a parent and you're, you've not learned this yet, you will, you know, as, as you get to go through that amazing child-rearing ages of three, five, seven, ten, teenage years, there's a lot we've learned. And it's like, we're all good at something. Like, I was a good social worker. I did my job. I found out what I needed to find out. People in the community knew who I was. They knew I was going to be straight up and be honest with them. But they also knew if I rolled in and they had two active gang members there or something else, like, they didn't want me there. Like, do now, I would do anything to protect those kids. And um, I had zero fear. Like, that's the other thing. I've been very blessed where I have a really healthy fear of the Lord. And I know I'm messed up. It doesn't make me, you know, you, you know, I just, I, I know where I am. And I think that a lot of us don't give ourselves credit. Everybody that gets an insurance license is great at something. Everybody. It could be being a great son. It could be being a great mentor to one person in your community. It could be great at your job at Target. Like you have a skill set that made you great. And I think my job is to pull that out in people when they start so they can take that greatness and apply it to our industry. So you start selling life insurance and originally you're at a, a different firm. Correct. You haven't yet started FFL yep. and that they are getting you going, they're training, they're helping you become yep. successful, but they are uh, compensating in a way that really rewards the owners disproportionately over the agents who are creating a lot of the value. How did this experience inform how you set up FFL when you have your own shop that you're responsible for. First of all, I should have had you explain that to the court when I got sued early on. You've been a lot better job than me. Like, what'd you do? I was like, I didn't feel like I was getting a good opportunity. You know, Peter, I worked really, really hard at the firm I started out, and I'm very thankful for that firm. I wouldn't have been in the business. I've always been thankful. But after a few years, I looked around, and I, I realized that, you know, I was getting all these awards, and, and I was like, I'm really not netting the amount of money I need to net for my family. You know, the awards are fine, and most people are driven purely by recognition, which is weird. That's most, a good percentage, you know. I'm not. Awards don't matter to me at all. They never have. They never will. I mean, I had to win awards when I was 12, and I was an angry kid, and I would just throw the MVP award in trash. That was it. My buddies would be like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't want it. Like, I don't care. Who cares? Like, so what? I was MVP. Who cares? And I just was this, this anti-recognition deal, probably because of how I felt about myself as a kid. But... You know, Peter, about the fourth year in, late third, early fourth, I was like, there's got to be a better way to do this. And, um, you know, I went to the people I worked with, and I was very upfront. Um, the guy that hired me, Jim, had quit. He quit like three months, and that was a good idea. He should have stayed around for a while. When I launched Fan First Life, he called me up. He's like, congratulations, man. I should get back in the business. I was like, you should have stayed when I was your downline. <laughs> well, you should have done. You know, I just knew there was there there was probably a better way to do it. And, and we started looking around, and, 
you know, a few guys I talked to. And when I started talking to people, what I realized, Peter, is they were thinking the same thing. And I'm like, dude, like, are you making any money? Like, that was always my thing. I was always very upfront about that. And anytime they started to kind of encourage me not to do that, it made me nervous. Like, if you're in the business, I want to go, hey, Peter, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. Okay, great. You got an award. How much are you making? How much are you keeping? How much are you paying taxes on, Peter? Like, what are you making for your family? And that's all I started doing was trying to seek the real information. And uh, I, you know, made a decision probably mid-2013 that uh, I was going to go in my own direction. And then December 12th of 2013, we did with Launch Family First Life. Small group of us got to become a big group real fast and even a bigger group. And I think the principles we've stuck by have allowed us to grow. I mean, it's putting the client first, putting the agent first, not being perfect, trying to get better every day. Um, I think that's the other thing. I surround myself with really good people. You know, when I met you, you know, I, I didn't need to know where you went to school. I was like, he's really smart and I really like him, you know, and I tried to be around people and be vulnerable enough and open enough to build good relationships, um, whether I'm being mentored one day and I'm the mentee the next day. So yeah, we launched launched FFL uh, 12, 12, 13. It was a grind. I mean, it's a, you know, you guys are now in this space and it's really getting a lot bigger now, which is great. I love that. There's more people in it. There's tons of leads, tons of clients, but it was a pretty small business for a lot of years. So everybody knew everybody, you know? So it was kind of like you had to work for one of these four people or you couldn't work there. And I was like, that doesn't seem right, you know? And I think, I'll never forget my mom said to me, I said, I hate school. Like, I just hate it. I love baseball. I love football. I do not like school. School wasn't hard for me. It was really easy, but I didn't like it. And i never forget she said to me, she said, you're going to say a lot of these courses are not important to you. Math, I write really well. I always wrote well. But she said, I need you to pay attention in history. And I, no matter what else you remember from me. And I said, why, Ma? She said, because history will repeat itself. And I always remember reading about cultures and societies and dictatorships and how you make enough people angry it doesn't matter how small you think they are they can overthrow the castle and uh you know i just learned a lot about i was very interested in leaders and, and what they did and, and why they were successful and why they weren't and why they failed i also vowed that no matter how, how good we got we would never become egotistical because ego you can't have a big business and a big ego at the same time so you know, we met, you, you spent very little time talking about you and very, a lot of time asking about us. And I liked it. It, it, it made me more interested in working with you. You're a fascinating person to learn about. Well, I'll tell you playing sports as a kid, I, I once received the most improved award, which yeah. I didn't realize until I was an adult was <laughs> a real insult. So Sean, FFL is today probably one of the largest agent organizations that exists. Can yeah. you give us a sense of an overview of FFL? What uh, main product lines you focus on? What's kind yeah. of the scale of the business today? Um, yeah, and I think, and I'm just saying this, I think we're by far the biggest agent organization that exists. I don't think it's even close. And I say that because of the amazing people we have. We have organizations within our organization that are bigger than all the organizations. You know, if you were to take our, the insurance carriers and rank them, and that's why I think it's important to level set that purely because, you know, when we first started, Peter, it was purely mortgage protection, which is term insurance, return to premium, and final expense. Whole life, simplified issue products. We were, you know, we kind of roll where the leads were. Back then, mortgage protection leads were much more plentiful. I think we all knew with the way mortgages are and 
direct mail and everything was going to be over the internet. Um, like we, we knew that that would kind of even out, but we went about 80, 20 mortgage section early on. And now we're about 50, probably about 55% final expense, probably 30% traditional return to premium mortgage tax. Another 15% would be index universal life. And that kind of gives you our mix. Very much middle American focused. Our leads doesn't mean we don't have segments of our agent force that is um, doing leads are, are focused on high net worth people we do. And I think we've evolved a lot. I think early on we were just, you know, we were two lines and now we're, you know, we're into, if it's insurance in our space and life and health, you know, we have ancillary health products, we have straight health, you know, MedSup, MedAdvantage, you know, we've kind of really gotten into everything. And I think that was one of the visions. I didn't know how to pull it off, but one of our visions was why can't we be all things to all people? It was like, you can't, in the life insurance, health insurance business, why can't we offer every product? And even if it's not me and my group, why can't I get Tom to come help these people with their retirement and write them a fixed index annuity? So this year, our goal, Peter, in our 10th year was to issue a billion. We are in our 10th year. I still say we we got a shot. If we miss, we'll be 800 million plus in paid premium for the year, um, which is bigger than almost anybody out there, including insurance carriers. You know, so, and why that's important to me, Peter, is how many people we got that wouldn't have gotten access to life insurance. I think that the great thing about, the internet and lead sources and social media is people are talking about it. And, you know, I remember when we saw these GoFundMe's, I was like, dude, you'll watch, you'll watch those come down on the death. Cause more people are going to realize what it is and get life insurance. We were joking one day. We're like, we're letting people know that, you know, there's, they have the ability to get it. And I think we've been able to dispel a lot of myths. You know, why don't most people have life insurance? They think they can't afford it, or then they can't get access to it. And neither one of those is true. You know, I mean, you can access something. Even if it's a graded or guaranteed product, and and certainly, you know, we're, you you have a cell phone, you got a place to live, and you you know you you can afford life insurance. So it's so um that those are our product lines, and that's where we're at. Those are our goals. We have probably on a monthly basis about eighty five hundred to nine thousand agents that are getting paid. I also feel real good about that. We don't have a sales force of hundreds of thousands where people you know I think a good percentage of our agents are actually out there monthly getting paid. You know, a lot of them weekly, a lot of them daily. And, and I never wanted to run a company where people were broke. That was the hard part of other companies I've been at, both in the real estate business and in insurance, was, you know, seeing people go on an award trip, yet they can't afford to eat anything while they're there. Or they're checking out. And you know, I went on an award trip with an insurance carrier early on, and I remember they said, you have to leave your – I had never been out of the country, Peter. So they said, you have to leave your passport with the hotel. And I was like – but I'd never been out of the country, so I'm like, sure, that's obviously what you do. So we check out. I pay my bill, give my passport back. So I said to the guy at the at the, the bellman, I was like, hey man, I mean, I've never been out of the country. Like it's the first time I've ever been out of the country. Is that how it always works? Like, what if they lose your passport? He's like, that's not how it works. It's like the company you're at wanted us to hold your passports in case you didn't pay your bill. And I was like, oh my god, like for real? It's like, yeah, that doesn't like ever happen. So it was very odd to us. So I'm thinking. Who invites their top 70 people and perseverates about whether they can pay their bill? And that started just making me really start thinking about the business. So I think even what we're doing with you guys, I mean, being open to so many different things that we weren't, you know, we don't do a good enough job getting back in front of our clients and, and get in front of the ones that don't, don't reach out to, you know, don't, don't respond to us. We can't get a hold of them. And I think ethos has been a, an amazing fit, but I buy into people, you know, and you know me, 
relatively well, Peter. And if anybody watching this knows me at all, they know I'm not BSing. I, I bought into you and the people I met. Had had I not, I would have passed. Like I, I, we're, there's somebody else, you know what I mean? There's other options out there, and uh, so that. But that's what our our line looks like, and that's what our sales looks like. We're in about every state, a couple states that, from a product standpoint, we're just not strong in the product. But you know, we're in. 48 of them 49 so we uh got a pretty good distribution you asked me to come off a, a a week and a half of sales conferences got thousands of people into 16 different cities it's amazing i feel like we're just getting started and um man tracking towards a billion of premiums the largest agent organization in the u.s what is the scale of your ambition what does the future look like you know when we start i used to say to people you know, you need to want to be as big as the company. So some of the agents we got to run agencies is like, why can't you, we were doing 11 million a year in the first year. Why can't y'all do 11? And Peter, yeah, I want to do billions a year. But the thing that makes me, I think, hard to, to compete with, um, and a lot of people I work with is money don't move me. Money does not move me. I am not broke, but money doesn't move me. The things people have, don't move me. You know, um, we spent time together. I was hundred percent sure you weren't broke, but that didn't move me. It was talking to you. So for me, there's so many more people to help. You know, the way I grew up is a blessing. It's been an, it's been a, like literally a blessing to turn. Like it doesn't stop blessing me because I never forget. It. And I think that a lot of people forget it, whether they're serving at a restaurant, which is nothing wrong with that. And they're making six to $8,000 a year, and there's nothing wrong with that. And they get life insurance business because they have ambitions to do better for their family, make 250 grand, and they forgot what they were doing. It's like you were working harder when you were serving, making 68 grand a year than you're working now when you sell life insurance. So for me, I'm not going to slow down because of goals, numbers, money. And dude, I like, I like shorts and T-shirts, man. I have got some nice suits I'm supposed to. I'm not that deep. You know what I mean? I can vacation hanging out at my house. So I don't really have a number on it. You know, we want to be the biggest by far, but I do wake up Peter every day with this real healthy paranoia of somebody's trying to do better than us. I'm rabidly competitive. So like, you know, somebody asked me today, have you play pickleball, Peter? No. Okay. And I have not, I, I had never played. I played a lot of racquetball and the guy that asked me is really good. Like I know he's really good. So I was like, all right, I'm going to start playing because when I play him, if he whacks me, like I'm going to be a rabid animal about it. Like it's not that I can't lose. I'm totally fine going in and losing if he's that because he's allegedly that good. But I got to give it everything I got. Like I just, I'm really, I don't like to lose. I, no, it's not true. I, I hate to lose. And also when I'm competing, I, and maybe this is wrong, but it's the way I do it. I don't, when people go like, I love my competition. I don't. If you compete with me, you're not my friend. Sorry, I'm not mad. I'm just saying you're not. I've never picked another guy off the court down a different jersey. I've never in the football field reached down and grabbed the jersey. It's not the same color as mine. Never. I've never in baseball asked a dude that got hit. How does that? Are you okay? Never once. That's not my business. He's not on my team. Game's over. I'm good. I'm cool. I ain't trying to hurt you. I'm not going to do anything dirty to hurt you. But I want to compete, and I, you know, this is my way to compete. And and I love competing fairly you know, between the lines and, uh, and we, like even our trainings, we'll do all our trainings online. And somebody said to me the other day, why do you keep doing them online? Like everybody can watch. I go, yeah, but they'll do more life insurance. 
which means more clients will get more life insurance, more people are covered. They'll do well, they'll do better, and that will push us to do even better. It's a win, 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 win. Like, I'm not going on my way to hurt you, but I'm pulling for our team. If one of my guys gets knocked down, I'll walk by four guys that are knocked down and grab my guy. Like, he's on my team. I'm not mad at all, y'all, but I got to get my guy over here. He's, he's, he's on my team, you know? So I'm just, I have fun. I love what we do. I, I love the people I'm in business with. I love, I love the BS. That's the sign of, do you like the business you're in? Because all businesses come with garbage you don't want to deal with. And I love that. And most of it's directed at me. And I like, I thrive on it. I enjoy it, you know? So um, I don't know. And that's, that's probably a more an Eastern Connecticut State University answer than a Stanford answer. But it's, uh, but nonetheless, is the one I got. The camera's um, positioned too high to see this, but Sean's, for our listeners, Sean's- um, Here we go. Biceps are literally as big as my thighs, which are pretty large as well. And you wouldn't want to compete with them in any, in any physical sport. So, but so Sean, you're aggressively competitive. You're super sharp. You're super motivated, but insurance is often described as a really commoditized product, right? Especially life insurance. It's a price per unit of coverage for, you know, pretty equivalent products that you can buy from any agent, it's often said that it's differentiated by distribution. Somehow in a very fragmented market, FFL has just amassed like incredible scale and market share at the expense of, potentially at the expense of competitors and potentially in growing the market. When you think about like the biggest core advantages and the biggest reasons and differentiators that you guys have grown so much more than everyone else, what would you attribute it to? You know, Peter, I think our pay system is our compensation. We've always been very aggressive. I was an agent full-time for five-plus years. I actually think if you're going to be in charge of distribution, you have a requirement to have gone out there. You know, if you build the products, I don't think you need to, and I think you run the insurance company. But if you're going to go ahead and say, I'm going to handle this insurance marketing organization, I'm going to talk to people, I mean, that's like giving parenting advice when you're not a parent. You've never done it. So you need to just, you know, respectfully keep your mouth shut. So I've been there. Our pay, we pay very well. We have a phenomenal bonus system set up to share in the money that comes in. We almost have to keep growing, which I love that pressure on us. That that excites me. I think that we're, we allow you to do what you want to do, however little or as much as you want to do. I've learned over the years that, you know, my goals are not everybody else's. Plus, we recognize the heck out of people. One of the things I think we do a good job of is I heard a guy say to me a long time ago, he's a very successful businessman, still is, and he said, that company over there failed because of credit. And I was like, immediately it came to my mind, you know, what I know, my ignorance, it was a long time ago. And I thought he meant, like, the ability to borrow money. And he said, no, the men in charge wanted all the credit. And when you steal all the credit, there's nobody to get People eventually just feel like they don't get credit for anything, you know? I don't get credit for anything. We have great people. We have a great company because we have great people. I mean, you know, it's like you're like you're good at coaching. Yeah, I'm like Mike Shashevsky with the Olympic team. <laughs> I got to call timeout every once in a while because, like, you know, Kobe's tired. Like, then I got to ask, <laughs> you know what I mean? I got to ask Shaq what he wants to do. Like, what do we do next? Like, I, it, it's not, it's not that deep. And I, I think that we stay true to that. I do think we have fun with it. I think we're direct about the business. I think that. Um, we don't try to pretend that it's simple. You know, people say it's simple but not easy. I don't like things that don't make sense. I don't even know what that means. I, I get what it means, but it's just it's it's flippant. It's it's a little bit sarcastic and condescending. It's a, it's a grind. Some life insurance is a grind. 
I think we found a way to realize that I think the health side is very democratized. You, know, you can punch in zip code and here's your product. I think the life side still has some of those core relationship building deals. And I like that. We teach a lot about the psychology of people, the psychology of why they buy, why they don't buy. We get the people in front of you that are, that are doing well. I think one of the great things we did is we didn't buy into seniority. I think this is a very stale and old industry. And, you know, I've been to meetings. I went to one not too long ago, and I heard people that, you know, are like been in the business 60 years. I would rather eat a bag of thumbtacks laced with cyanide than listen to somebody who's not sold a policy in 60 years talk about how to sell policies. Dude, he was like going door to door, like seriously, collecting the premiums. And he's going to talk to us when we're in the, the, the world of phone sales, Zoom, everything electronic and people listen to him because what he's been around a while. So I, we never bought into that. And I think that ends up, I think it's a law of a lid. Cause you get to a certain point where those people will never let you surpass them. The people that compete with us or allegedly compete with us. They love that stuff. Like the, the craziest thing about going to meetings for me is when people say to me, I really appreciate you coming to meetings. I can't appreciate your time a lot. And I'm like, I work here. Like, what do you think I do? But they're like, oh, I never got taught a person that ran my company. I'm like, well, what did he do? They do like 20 million a year. They do like no volume. He should be like thanking you on a daily basis for what you do, you know? So we stay humble and we stay hungry, you know? That's, and I think that um, the training's unfreaking believable. We've set leads up in a way where you can get them where you want. We just do our best to do our due diligence. We don't have like one lead source you have to go through. I think that's been really good. I've changed a lot as a leader. You know, three years ago, I'm like, you know, we're going to sell everything face-to-face. -face. We don't sell anything over the phone, yada, yada, yada. I mean, I just, and I've really learned, Peter, to get better. You know, one of, the, one of my, I have, I have people that speak into my life. And a dude said to me, your biggest strength is your biggest weakness. And I was like, well, everybody says that about everybody. What's mine? And he said, when you were younger, you created your own rules. Thus, you don't really have respect for authority. And fortunately and unfortunately, it worked to some level. And now you're trying to backtrack and listen to people when they're like, I have some ideas. You're like, no, no, I got it. You know, so I've really changed to realize how amazing people are in the industry and how much they know that I don't know. You know, my job is to be there to support them, have their back. When they have tough times, be there to do the best I can for them. That's the other thing is life. When you're an independent contractor or an entrepreneur, it's how to deal with tough times. And I think a lot of that is helping people manage that, you know, and just trying to keep your heart tuned into what people need. I called the guy yesterday that I just called out of the blue. Like, I'm like, I need to call him. I just know. And he's like, I can't send. I mean, he's like, I don't even know why you called me. I'm like, I work here. He's like, but yeah, why me? I was like, I didn't see, I saw you weren't at the meet and I was just checking on you. And he's like in a really bad place, you know, and he just needs somebody to talk to. And I think, you know, we're transparent about our weaknesses too. I think, you know, you know, I always laugh when people are like, they say stuff. I'm like, dude, come to any one of my meetings. I say that about myself. Like, what are you, what are you getting at? Like, I mean, like, and, and, and I've had more people, like, I've been sober 22 years. I have more people, Peter, that work with us because this guy the other day, he sold $600,000 last year. And I was like, why'd you join us? He's like, I went to the meeting and then I was six months sober. You know, I had some family problems. I had hard time. And you talked about being sober for however many years it was that time. And I'm like, I'm, I'm in this company. Like, that dude shared that from stage. I'm in. I'm like, that's what did it. He's like, yeah, I just felt comfortable with you. Like I just, and now I'm, now he's two years in and sober, you know what I mean? And, and just sharing the things that, you know, that we've all been through. And I think we have that, 
you know, that kindred spirit. And I think that we have a great team environment. And I think that we know we're not perfect. And um, we're excited. That's the other thing, Peter. Come to our meetings. You can ask your guys and, and, and ladies when they come to the meetings, the reps. You know, it ain't boring. It ain't a bunch of people sitting around entitled. And we've, we've made that our culture. You know, we're... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna wake up every day and be, deal with people that don't even want to be on this earth when God gave them another day. You won't find them at our meetings. I, I don't. I, negativity is something that you go fix it and come back and let me know when it's fixed. If I can help, I will. But I'm not gonna live in it with you. And I think we've. This business is continues to be a, a significant grind, and you learn that. You know, you've learned it. I think that we also teach very hard, Peter, on the reality of the business. You're going to work your butt off in, in the life side, and 30% of what you write is not going to be here in a year and a half. And the insurance carriers aren't going to fire you for that. Now, if 40% of it isn't, they're going to probably fire you. <laughs> if more than 40% of it isn't, you can guarantee they're going to fire you. But if you're just statistically like everybody else, you know, you might be 80% stays in the books, good for you, and teaching people the consistency. I was never taught that when I started. I worked hard because I wanted to work hard. But the people around me, I finally learned it and then I was like, okay, this money's not really mine. I manage my money appropriately. I think we do a really good job of that too. Really good job. You know, so I, I think those are some things that have uh that have definitely set us apart and put us in a position to to continue to really do well. Having gotten and known several leaders at FFL well, you do an incredible job of elevating and mentoring the next levels of leadership. And they probably make you better in a lot of different ways, in the same way that you make them better. So hundred percent they do. But, and you do bring the energy. My gosh, no one brings the energy like you. Can you share, Sean, how did COVID change your business? You guys have, you know, most businesses run into laws of large numbers where at a certain scale, they stop growing at a breakout rate. And I think since COVID, you guys have just been going berserk. How did COVID totally change the workflow of your teams and, you know, accelerate your business? You know, I'll tell you, Peter, we, um, I can remember like it, like it was yesterday. I remember the, the conversations, you know, I did a lot of the, you know, the starts and you don't know what's going and what's not going on. And, and I'm crazy, overly optimistic, you know what I mean? So, you know, I could break my leg and I ain't going to the hospital. So I'm kind of messed up like that. And I'm, I'm just like, we're plowing, plowing ahead. And I remember the day where I was like, okay, like no matter how it's all going to play out, this is changing our industry forever, okay? How do we react? And I, I remember I talked a lot with people that I really trust, and we said, listen, first of all, we have a crazy opportunity because everybody, everybody in the world is going to be facing their mortality because you couldn't turn on any news station without seeing a death clicker, which is kind of really morbid when you look back now. So we knew that. Number two, we knew that we were still going to be able to go out and meet with people. We're going to have to be creative. I mean, we started doing call. I mean, and, and know what happens when it gets bad? You work harder. A lot of folks pull away. Personal business, they're running an agency. It's just themselves. When it gets bad, I want to run in. And we all did. We had some amazing people. And we just started speaking the same language. We're going to be socially responsible. You know, we doubled. Like, we actually went from October of 19 to October of 22 we literally grew like almost 700%. I mean, it's mind-boggling. And y'all know when COVID hit in that window, you know, and again. So I think we really seized the opportunity to protect people. And I think we had to watch the insurance carriers, right? What were they going to do? 
Like, we didn't know either. Like, are they going to say, we're not going to issue it? Like, I, are they going to say, do you have COVID or not? Are they going to require COVID? To, like, we didn't know, right? We're, ours is a simplified issue business. And um, I think a lot of folks rallied together to make sure, but it will probably be the greatest influx of uninsured people in life insurance getting life insurance. So I think what we figured out was, you know, we were either going to be a victim in this whole thing or we're going to take advantage of it. Like I was just saying, this will be the, I'm just telling you, we look back on this. I don't know there'll ever be a larger growth in the life insurance business year over year. Because look, because in life insurance sales, what every agent will tell you is the only time that they're going to say no to me is when they somehow are able to like block out that they're going to die. Like it was Tuesday, five o'clock at night, and they decided they're not going to die. At least another day, they let me walk out the door with no coverage. How did they do that, right? And I think for, for us, we wanted to be on the end of protecting. And we also, you know, talk about our competition, we wanted them to keep selling life insurance. Like we want more, I want as many people to get life insurance as I can. I don't care who gave it to them. I mean, I'm competitive, but I want you to have life insurance. So, I mean, we exploded. And I think it also forced us into a, I really put us at a disadvantage because prior to that, People were coming to me going, we're going to sell over the phone. And I'm like, no, it's bad. Like, I was just like, so get in the home, get in the home, get in the home, that we really had to find people that were good on the phone, get training, revamp our training. I had to say, hey, listen, man, I'm sorry. That's another thing when you're leading. Like, I'm sorry. My idea wasn't a great idea. It was my idea. Sorry about that, you know, and and kind of get people to understand that that's okay. And um, we didn't run away. You know, life is fight or flight. And that's, I think, one of the biggest premises we run the company on. But if the fight's breaking out, you know, somebody asked me a long time ago, what do you look for in your staff? And I was at a big conference, different industry. And I said, this answer, may not, you may not like it, but I'm going to be honest with you. When I'm interviewing somebody, I want to ask myself if in my parking lot, my very first office was a, was a big parking lot, not the greatest area, if this man and or woman was coming in for an interview and they saw somebody in the parking lot being harmed, would they do something to intervene? Would they call 911? Would they yell, blow a whistle, go physically intervene? Would they, or would they be able to look at it and go, that sucks for that lady or that child to walk away? If they can turn their back on it and walk away, we don't want them. And, um, you know, I think that that was a big part of, our job is to stick up for people regardless of now. Did we have people that were medically compromised? I didn't want to go in the field. Absolutely. hundred percent. Even if they were as safe as can be, I didn't want, I didn't want that to be on, on any of us. I won't put anybody in a bad spot, you know, but we had people grabbing lawn chairs, sitting outside, you know, I mean, and I kind of made a joke, but I'm like, dude, I don't know how close do you get to your clients, dude? Like I tended not to be like within, the, I mean, like I was good, Peter, like you can be at the end of the table. I'm here. Like we're good. Um, but I think I'm really proud of what we did at that time and the leadership team, the people you've met, we have a lot more. That's what made it easy because we got a call and it was like, guys, this is about serving and helping. This isn't, we can't back down. The world's going to shut down. We can't back down, you know? And also what ended up happening was, which I think we were one of the first ones to seize it. You know, a lot of these States deemed life insurance sales to be essential. And um, they put it out there. They'd like be like, here are essential services that need to be More open. More important than ever. Oh, my God. And I think that 
and listen, I mean, at the end of the day, everybody that's that's making any of these laws, they all want you to be insured. That's why there's countries in the world that, like, when you get a mortgage, you're required to get life insurance to cover it. They don't want all these foreclosed homes or they, you know, so I think that um, we really, really, it was a good test to to the soul and the heart we have protecting people. Because when you don't care about other people, it's easy to run and hide if you only care about yourself. And again, we were socially responsible about it, smart about it, but we weren't going anywhere. We, we, I never knew we'd grow the way we grew, but we were excited to be in the fight. It's awesome to hear that you changed your mind so quickly in adapting to the new situation. I feel like a lot of people, before they get to leadership, they don't realize that changing your mind when you're presented with new data is a great sign of strength rather than a sign of weakness. So I learned that way too late, but I learned it nonetheless. <laughs> so in 2019, FFL joined the Integrity Platform and really is the flagship of their life platform. How has this changed you know, things for you and FFL? And has it been great? Has it been what you expected? You know, it's funny. Real quick story. I wasn't looking to do anything. You know what I mean? Like, you understand this much better than me. We had a, this was probably early 19. I'm at my house. Andrew Taylor's over. He's down. We did some meetings. He's visiting for a couple nights. About 8 o'clock, the phone just starts blowing up. Text, calls, emails. Well, the CRM we had to deliver leads shut down. It was just like, it just shut down. But what it did, which was worse on its ability, when it shut down where you couldn't access your leads, our merchant service, what it connected with, billed people double, and it shut down. Okay, so you can imagine, like, not only can you not have your leads, Peter, we double billed you for leads you can't have, okay? And we're rolling, we're cruising, and, and I never really thought a lot about infrastructure, I mean, we, you know, some people had talked to me about it in passing, you know, you're eventually going to outgrow it. We made a decision to, to not only give you obviously every dollar back you got paid. We, then we double, we double paid you back, which was a lot of money. It's like, okay, Peter, you got hit for three grand. We're gonna give you six. You're like six. I'm like, yeah, inconvenience. Sorry, my fault. We worked tirelessly and I'll never forget trying to call the guy that had built our CRM. And he sent me a message back that said, I won't be able to call you for a couple of days. My cat's sick. And I'll never forget my buddy said, that's what you get when you spend 50 grand to launch a CRM. So I knew we had an infrastructure problem and it made me nervous, quite frankly. So I started looking for companies to partner with, you know, from a private equity standpoint. Didn't know anything about it. First time I heard EBITDA was when I sat down with a bunch of PE guys who said, what's EBITDA? To which I said, what does that mean? And when they started earnings, foreign income, tax, appreciation, amortization, I said, why don't you just ask me what my net income is? Like, would that be too easy? Like, would you not be able to get your degree in private equity? And they laughed, right? We started laughing. And I'm like, guys, if I don't know something, I'm going to ask you. I, I don't. And I learned a lot about the process over about six months, but I never found a fit ever. And um, I had a guy uh, named Bob who's a consultant at Integrity, and he had been a, an employee of an insurance carrier that I had worked with, man, nine years prior. No, probably 12. And uh, great guy. That's why I'm not a big believer in burning bridges either. A lot of people want to blow their bridges up in the way. I'm like, dude, you never know when you turn that car back around. And he's the only guy at the, at the toll, you know? And he said, I'd love for you to meet with um, some of the folks at, at Integrity. I'd love you to get on the phone with Brian Adams. And I was like, sure, you know? And he's like, do you know Brian Is Adams? Bob now, Grannon? Bob Grannon, yep. Yeah. Now, 
understanding Peter, I live like this. Like I can go buy the same house 7,200 times the way to my house. I can't tell you if it's for sale or not. I don't, I just don't pay attention. I, I, I'd live just like this. So to me, I knew nobody in the industry, literally. Like, I mean, literally, I didn't realize, I didn't know who anybody was. Integrity, you know, Brian Adams was, you know, the, the singer when I grew up. Like, I don't, you're too young, but like Brian Adams, like that was how I knew him, you know? And um, so I, I got on the phone with Brian and for about a half hour, he's asked me a lot of questions about me and I answered him. And then he said, would you come to Dallas for dinner? I said, sure. So I went to Dallas, had dinner. And I said, hey, before we get started, I'm gonna let you know, I've done this a bunch of times with people. I have no desire to partner. I'm just gonna have to figure out some of my infrastructure problems on my own. You know, we were getting by right now, Peter. We had made some changes. I knew we were gonna have to make more. We had dinner and there were two things that struck me about the dinner and I did a deal the next day, but were that, I had no problem with them, with partnering with them, as long as they let us run the company. As long as we were profitable, making money, doing our deal, like, leave us be kind of deal. And then number two, I wanted the people that worked with us to have the opportunity to do the same thing. I wanted them to be able to say, like, hey, I'm going to take my chips off the table, give me money, stock, however it works, how you pay me, whatever I can get afterwards down the road for my performance. Like, do that for me. I said, I want you to be able to do that. And they did. And they've done it for dozens of people since then that work with us. Because I never wanted to do it and be like, hey, wasn't that cool, guys? Like, that was cool. Like, I'm retiring. I'm out. Thank you so much, guys. You guys are awesome. But I'm going to, you know, move down to St. Martin, and you guys keep killing it. Thanks for everything, and I'm out. I just didn't feel like that. And I also wasn't looking to stop working either. You know, I, I don't know, man. I'm, I mean, I'm 50, but, I, you know, I feel like I'm just getting started in this industry. So it's been everything I thought it would be. I've learned a lot. I mean, there's some things I didn't know. You start getting involved with with the entities we're involved with in the, in the direction and the goals of, of a company like Integrity, you get to learn a lot about business, which I've embraced. Uh, and I think I um, people are like, isn't it hard? You're an entrepreneur and independent. Now you're, you know, like you're an employee. And I'm like, yeah, I know. But when I'm the employee of the right people, I'm fine. I'm kind of learned, right? Like you say, I don't respect authority. I'm like, no, I think I do. But like, they have to earn that. Like, you walk up to me at the crosswalk and, like, start mouthing off me for no reason. I'm like, dude, I was just parking my car. Like, you don't got to yell at me. Like, but if I knew you really well and I really respected you and you were like, hey, man, back up. I'm like, I'll back up. Like, I'll go back 5, 10 feet. Like, I'm cool. Like, I respect you. So um, it's been one heck of a run. It's only getting better. And it's really, really cool to watch. You know, I've had two guys tell me, uh, Andrew Taylor being one of them, you know, that because of my financial, he did all the work. Andrew's a machine because of my financial situation, I decided it was okay for me to have children, right? Like get married, have kids. And I'm not saying he wasn't going to have kids. He could have been doing what he was doing when he started the insurance industry, working at a grocery store and he could have still had a family. But if there's any part of him that was like, man, maybe I wouldn't have, then that means what we did and how hard we worked really some in some way, shape or form allowed Atlas and AC to be here. That's almost too much to take on. Like to, to really, it's so humbling that it's like uncomfortable. Like I didn't do nothing. He did the work, but like we launched a company. We got in this together. Had we not done that, maybe like that, that messed me up. And uh, so I think when I've watched what they've done for their families and the way they live and all that, it makes me happy. Is it perfect? Nothing's perfect. And I tend though, Peter, to find, take situations and find the good. I've just always, I just think that makes a lot more sense. A lot of folks don't, unfortunately. They, they, they find something, they want to give you the three things that are bad out of 10. I'm like, 
you know, I remember I was a social worker and I would take a piece of paper, draw a big circle and take a pen or a pencil and just hit a, hit the center of it. There's a dot. And I'd be like, here's the problem. All you are focused on this dot. It's all you're focused on. There's all kinds of good stuff in this house. Between you guys as a couple, between the kids, between you, these for as your parents, but everybody wants to focus on this one pinpoint. You'll ensure it fails. You know, and I think that, you know, we got that big circle and got three or four things people don't like. And it's like they perseverate there. I spend no time thinking about things I can't control. Can't control them. And can't control what people say or don't say. I got gave that up a long time ago. I used to get all kinds of mad and, you know, get pissed off and be like, he wouldn't say that if he was face to face with me. But I'm like, dude, I got to grow up. Like, whatever. You know, I've just really learned to, if I can't control it, I'm not going to give it any energy. And I mean none. Man, I would give a lot for that superpower of not dwelling on things you can't control. Yeah. Peace of mind. I'm a simple guy, Peter. Peter, I got a question for you. Yeah. I want to I know if this is a true story. So Marty uh, at Ethos, who went to, I believe, business school with you, he said, I don't know if Marty's last name. It was two Martys, right? Marty the sales guy, my guy, and another guy, Marty. Marty Evans and Marty Mar Schaefer. Marty Evans. Marty Evans said one of the first times he met you, you were sitting down playing chess with yourself, by yourself, against yourself. Is that true? It's a reflection of my personality, Sean. <laughs> I'm a boring person when I'm not selling life insurance. That's not boring, dude. That's deep. <laughs> I think that's a lot of depth. I was like, he's one of the few people I know that I could actually see that happening. So I had to ask that, man. Chess is a great game. It te yeah. teaches you a lot about life. Importantly, it teaches you that the power of any one piece on the board is a function of its relation to all the other pieces. I like that. Yeah. That's deep. So, Sean, I've observed you, and you are just an incredible leader. Your energy and enthusiasm is contagious. People want to be their best selves when they're around you. You've elevated these other incredible leaders at FFL, like Andrew and Zach, who are just remarkable people. You guys are recruiting thousands of agents every year. You're managing tens of thousands of agents every year. You're putting food on these people's tables. You guys are protecting God knows how many families every year with your products. And the energy has not slowed even as the organization has expanded dramatically. Oftentimes, the larger a company gets, the more culture dissipates. But the culture within FFL is as strong as it's ever been. What are the secrets to your leadership? You even wrote a book about leadership. Can you tell us, you know, give us a kind of assessment of your overall leadership style and how you think about it? Yeah, I, um, it's funny because I had a buddy of mine that, you know, he's in the, he he's in the book business, but he does a lot, of, a lot of things. That's one of them. And I sat there about just self-publishing a book. And then he hooked me up with a guy, and that's what the guy does. And he said, what do you think the name? What do you I gave him a, basically an outline of what I was thinking. And he said, what are you going to call it? And I said, Humble and Hungry. And he said, that's a really stupid name. And I was like, what's a better one? He said, punch me in the face. I said, why? He said, number one, would you buy a book titled Punch Me in the Face or Humble and Hungry, number one? Number two, everything you're talking about, Sean, like everything, everything is about facing life head on, getting knocked down. And we had an argument because I had a chapter in there that talked about anybody could do it. And he said, well, anybody can't do what you're doing. I said, it's a lie. He's like, no, it's true. I said, no, it's not. It's, it's not true. 
energy, you could fake it until you loved it, if you chose to, right? Leadership styles. For me, I want to treat everybody legitimately the way I want to be treated. I'm very much, oh, I'm, I'm imperfect. I know that. So if you want to tell me I'm imperfect, I'm already telling you. I'm a complete disaster and I got that. Do the best I can on a daily basis. Do better than I did yesterday. Um, that's all I can do, right? Stay focused on the needs of people over the needs of the company. You know what I mean? Like I could find a way to do things that are better for the company as opposed to flying somewhere to a meeting with 31 people. There are things I could do that would probably be a good argument to the needs of the company could be better off. Now I can argue that what these 30 people can do and who they hire and all that, but stay very focused on those people and build a culture where it's very transparent, where we can have a discussion, right? And challenge people to get uncomfortable, but in a building up kind of way. Never break anything or anybody down. You don't have, not only that you don't, that you won't build up, you have to have the ability to build them up. So I see people break people down and they want to build them up. They just suck at building them up. So I'm like, you left them a mess. They, they're not built up. You destroyed them, literally. Like, why did you do that? Well, I did this and this and this. I'm like, yeah, but it didn't work. Look at him or look at her. Like, why are you doing that? So I think we stay true to those principles. Again, it's got to be great for the client, got to be great for the agent. It can't harm the company. And that's all we stay true to. You have to make difficult decisions. You know, you have to draw a line in the sand, if you will, and go, this is who we are. This is who we're not. Like, you take us or leave us, but this is where we're at. You know, I am overly aggressive. And I'm probably not going to change that. <laughs> You know, I try to get more information before I react. I like your chess analogy because it, it, it rings true. But I think that we've stayed real. And I do believe that we've had people that are egotistical that don't like that because they want to be told it's because of them. And anytime I see that, I'm like, I pull them. I'm like, dude, you understand the more you tell them you're great, the more you're telling them they can't do it. Like nobody's saying you're not great. Dude. We love you. You're great. But the more you elevate yourself to this extra superhuman whatever level, you're literally just subconsciously telling them they can't do it because they're not you. So not only are you not growing your own business, you're hurting your peers, and it's very egotistical. So people eventually aren't going to want to be in business with you anyway at all because of the way you make them feel. You don't make anybody feel good by telling everybody how great you are. You listen, ask good questions. We teach them how to communicate in that way. We teach them how to carry themselves and, you know, challenge them. And I think that, you know, what you realize is, and I was talking to, I was on a guy's podcast recently, and he said, I love this message. He's like, because most folks on my podcast are in their 20s, and I think the way you're talking, the way you were coached and all of that, I think we long for that more than you think we do. Like, I know you're not our age, but we long for that. So we're really appreciative that you bring that to us. And again, I think as long as you're, you know, I always tell people, you may not like the way it was delivered. You may not like a meeting but do you believe I want you to do better than you're doing now? Do you believe that my heart is in it for you to do better? Yeah, I may have made them, but I do you think I want you to be better? 100%. The minute that answer is not 100%, then I can't do what I do. I can't. I, I, won't be, I won't be any good at it. You know, I was at lunch one day a while back, and a guy I work with kind of called me over to his table, waved over, and I went over. Had his whole family there, man, packed. And uh, I don't remember how she was related to him, but she was like, hey, uh, how do you like working for so-and-so and talking about her, you know, this guy. And I was like, I love working for him. She's like, he does such a good job running the company. I was like, oh, he's unbelievable. And she went on and on and on and on. So, and I was like, hey, great to meet you. I went back. So he came back over and he's like, hey, man, I'm sorry about that. I'm like, sorry about what? He's like, I didn't tell her I ran the entire company. I just told him I run my agency and she assumed you worked under me. 
because I told her how big I'd age ass. I said, dude, I do. You have zero to apologize for, dude. And he was just like, what do you mean? I'm like, you run your own company. We work together. I'm honored to work with you. Um, I think that's kept, it's hard not to duplicate that, and we don't encourage anybody to put themselves above everybody else. I think that works in individual sports. You know, in tennis, it's you. I get that. Like, that's just you. In golf, it's you. It's you. But, you know, football, lacrosse, baseball, basketball. Dude, once you compete at a high level, and we compete at a high level now, you need the entire team. You can win when you're you, when everybody sucks and everybody's young with two kids or two guys. You, you play an inferior team, you get a couple good players, you're going to beat them. But this concept anymore about having the best three or best two, that don't seem to work out very well for people. So um, I think those are a few things, Peter, that I, that I stay true to and I will not deviate on. It's easy as organizations get large for leaders to retreat to an ivory tower and operate through executives. And you do an amazing job of staying connected to your agent force. It's unbelievable how connected you are. So. I appreciate that. Sean, we're at time. Thank you so much for taking the time and speaking with us. And hopefully our listeners got a lot out of this. I certainly did. It's just been an absolute pleasure to hear from you and, and learn more about FFL. And we're so grateful for our partnership together. So. I'm grateful, Peter. I appreciate letting me get on. I have a lot of respect for you and what you're doing. And I'm like your biggest fan while we work together. And I think the sky's the limit for what y'all are uh, what y'all are doing. It's from, I remember when I first got the phone call about ethos. And I was like, about time I talked to somebody over there because everywhere I turn, I see them. So they have some idea of what they're doing. And um, it's been great to work with you guys. I echo that with you. There's nobody else that's as accessible in the role you have to me as you've been. And um, that means a lot to me. And our partnership means a lot to me. And uh, me making you guys proud means a lot to me. So I appreciate you having me on today. It's likewise. Thanks, Sean. Take care, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of What's Your Ethos? If you're interested in helping to protect the next million families, come join us. You can learn more about ethos at ethoslife.com. I'll see you next time.